0: Chris and Chris Talk Movies.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry. <coughs> this is my co-host. My name is Chris Huddleston. And today we have a very special guest. Hi! Melissa Demetrius. <laughs> <laughs> today, uh, all three of us are very excited to be doing a double feature, two high school movies. We're going to be talking about Smart, the Olivia Wilde excellent coming-of-age high school film, and the breakfast club john hughes seminal movie about high school coming of age from a very different time 1984 that's more in line with when chris and i were in school
0: amy you've been out for two years and you've never kissed a girl i really don't know what i'm telling you with all that stuff i have a secret for you i once tried to masturbate with an electric I wish that would have been a secret, but you've mentioned it many, many times. Oh, shit. Are we gonna go to school or? What's two plus two? Isn't it crazy that it's the last day of school? Are you kidding me, Samantha? She's got a really cute smile. Go talk to her. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. Sharp elbows, not as sharp as your chin. What?
1: It's the last day. We got you through high school.
0: I need to go over the end of the year budget numbers.
1: Can't we just graduate, head off to
2: college? That should do it, right? We
3: will persist.
2: I can't hear you. I can't soundproof
0: glass. We have to go to a party tonight. What? Nobody knows that we are fun. We didn't party because we wanted to focus on school and get into good colleges. And it worked. But the irresponsible people who partied also got into those
3: colleges. I'm incredible at hand jobs, but I also got a 1560 on the SATs. We haven't done anything. We haven't broken any rules. Name one person whose life was
0: so much better because they broke a couple of rules. Picasso. He broke art rules. Rosa Parks. Name another one. Susan B. Anthony. God damn it. Picture this. I'm a bag of, Put me to your lips. Hand sanitizer. Check. Chapstick. Chap. Mace. Listen, it is very important that you keep the safe. Oh! oh! Ah! Hey, oh! on! Don't touch your eyes!
3: Tonight is your night. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Nobody you. Nobody is. Oh!
2: Oh! Oh! What is this? We asked the question! Oh my god. How old are you?
3: Does not matter! Well, this seems excessive. Shotgun. Just kidding. I don't
0: have one. Don't say we're having a date night. Why, it's funny your parents think we're boning. What you we two have is special. Mm-hmm. We are going to show each other how much we care about each other. We'll probably just do a Korean face mask. I don't need to know all the words.
1: It is now 7.06. You have exactly 8 hours and 54 minutes to ponder the error of your ways. Any questions?
0: Yeah. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? A brain, a beauty, a jock, a rebel, and a recluse.
3: I can't believe this is really happening to
0: me. Before this day is over, they'll break the rules. (coughs) Chicks, can I hold his smoke? That's what it is. Bear their souls. I'm a nymphomaniac. Are your parents aware of this? Take some chances. Being bad feels pretty good. And touch each other in a way they never dreamed possible. Why'd you do that?
3: Because I knew you wouldn't.
0: The Breakfast Club. They only met once. I don't want to be alone anymore. You don't have to be. But it changed their lives forever.
1: I mean, I consider you guys my friends. I'm not wrong, am I?
0: Universal Pictures presents Emilio Estevez, Paul Gleason, Anthony Michael Hall, Judd Nelson, Molly Ringwald, and Ali Sheedy in a John Hughes film. Why are you being so nice to me? Because you're letting me. The Breakfast Club.
1: So, uh, Chris, do you have a synopsis
2: for these films for us? Yeah, so we'll start with Booksmart, which was directed by Olivia Wilde, and it stars, uh, and I'm never sure about her name, Caitlin Dever, uh, Beanie Feldstein, Jessica Williams, Jason Sudeikis, Lisa Kudrow, Will Forte, and others, and the synopsis for this one is... Academic overachievers Amy and Molly thought keeping their noses to the grindstone gave them a leg up on their high school peers. But on the eve of graduation, the best friends suddenly realize that they may have missed out on the special moments of their teenage years. So, and then I'm going to go to the Breakfast Club.
1: So and you. Booksmart, you probably know this, Melissa. What year was Booksmart? 2019. 2019. 2019. Okay, and we we established last night that the Breakfast Club was 1980, shot in 84, came out in 85. Yes.
2: So The Breakfast Club was directed by John Hughes, and it stars Emilio Estevez, Molly Ringwald, Judd Nelson, Paul Gleason, Anthony Michael Hall. And the synopsis for it is, five high school students from different walks of life endure a Saturday detention under a power-hungry principal. The disparate group includes, includes Rebel John, Princess Claire, Outcast Allison, Brainy Brian, and uh, Andrew the Jock each has a chance to tell his or her her story, making the others see them a little differently. All right. So, what do we want to do? We want to start with Booksmart.
1: Yeah, because I think we set it up as a and certainly the more recent film. Um, Now, just to to give us a little more background, Melissa is a friend of mine, a relatively new friend of mine from East Hampton, a filmmaker in her own right, um, and I had the honor and pleasure of producing uh, her second short uh, that she directed, in East Hampton this summer, called Geriatric Millennials. And I know you're a big fan of Booksmart and Olivia Wilde, so do you wanna kick us off with what you love about Booksmart?
3: Well, since we don't have six hours, I will <laughs> try to summarize it. Um, I think what's really amazing about I am a big fan of Olivia Wilde. I think what's really amazing about Booksmart is that it's her first feature. And there is not a wasted second in this movie. Like the every single line in the screenplay, which she did not write before people wrote, is is necessary and is funny and is good. Like there is not one line that's not necessary, which is unusual. You know, everything drives the story forward. But it's unusual that every single line is that excellent and important. Um, you know, everything from that down to the lighting and the sort of sonic universe of this movie, the the music and the soundscapes. I mean, it's just I could talk about how great *Booksmart* is all day. Um, one thing,
1: yeah, go ahead, keep going.
3: One of the really impressive things to me about it is the way that she sort of brings in like a little bit of surrealism but it never takes us out of the story, which feels like an almost impossible thing to do as a director. Like the stop motion doll sequence, which she had to fight really hard to get in the movie and the dance sequence when they arrived at the party, these things somehow don't take us out of the story and away from our connection with Molly and Amy, which I think is amazing
1: you it it was actually your suggestion you said oh i just watched the breakfast club we should talk about that too and we've never done a double we talk about multiple movies mm-hmm. and, and, you know from time to time but calling it like a double feature where we actually sit down and talk about two movies um is a is a first for us but it ends up i think being a, a terrific pairing you know when you watch first of all what brought you back to Uh, The Breakfast Club, which was a film that was kind of aimed at us. I mean, we were in junior high when Breakfast Club came out. And our whole podcast is about movies from the 80s in general, but really 85, 86, 87. I mean, this is one of the seminal movies of our childhood. What what made you want to watch The Breakfast Club?
3: Well, honestly, it was you because we were sitting at Enrico's editing. editing the short and I had presented you with the script for the next short and you were like does it have these deep emotional moments like the breakfast club and I was like I can't answer that because I haven't seen it in years and I actually like didn't really remember it I just saw it a long time ago um so I was like I need to as someone who has seen every teen movie from the last 15 years in the last year and a half that I've been writing this feature script this seems like a movie that I really need to watch and so I watched it
1: well, what did you think?
3: Um, well, what did I think? I can see how... It, listen, I wasn't even born when they shot this movie, mm-hmm. first of all. Uh, I can see how it was a really important movie of the time. I think it was the first thing, like, other than an after-school special that showed teenagers. So I think at the time that it came out, it, you know, it's the first film that's taking teenagers seriously. Um, which I would say is maybe one of the only similarities it has with Booksmart is that they actually take the characters really seriously, despite how young they are. Um, I mean, to be honest, you know, I'm watching it from 2023 standpoint. So I'm like just making a checklist of like misogyny, racism, homophobia. Homophobia. It was like hard to watch a little bit. And especially I will say as a woman, it was hard to watch 14 year old Molly Ringwald be verbally and sexually assaulted and then end up with the character that did that to her and, and the underwear shot, which luckily was a stand-in, but so in those ways it was difficult. And also, right. Like it's nuanced. You have to appreciate that this was such a, like you said, seminal film of its time and that, you know, it meant so much to so many people. Um,
1: Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about this last night. In some ways, you brought up an an amazing point last night that you sort of made the same point Melissa just did was like, John Hughes kind of defined this genre. Like, he kind of created his own genre, you know. Fast Time at Ridgemont High, we looked up, had actually come out prior to this, which is another sort of seminal high school movie. But it doesn't, we we should go back and watch that. Mm -hmm. In my memory, it doesn't take the character it's a comedy it's a teen sex comedy and there is in school stuff and i think porky's probably too but they're not this kind of movie that treats the characters seriously as human beings from right. their own point of view yeah um but yeah we we did we did obviously the things in 2023 that clink in it clink I feel like I was expecting the whole rewatching experience to be more cringe and less just the whole thing would be uninteresting because it was so cringy in 2023. But what surprised me about it was I actually think that if you can compartmentalize some of that stuff, which is 100 percent problematic watching it today. It's a great movie. They made it for a million dollars. It grossed 50 million in the box office. And they made that movie for a million dollars. Molly Ringwald and Anthony Michael Hall were 17 years old.
2: Judd was... Judd 20. Nelson. And this, this plays into the prob- problematic thing from a real-life standpoint. Yeah. He was 26 when they made the movie. So it's like, you know, he's a full-on adult and, you know, kissing her at 17 years old, which is, is strange. I don't,
3: I don't actually think she was 17. I think she was like 14.
1: Oh, okay. Well, the point is that she was she was a minor. Yeah, they were they were kid actors, and I think it's just amazing that he got the performances out of these kids that he did. I i i didn't remember Emilio Estevez's monologue being genuinely affecting. I mean, I remember it being affecting to my twelve year old self or whatever age I was at the time. Yeah, but I was feeling it, and like you say, the um, the assault. On Molly, Rid- like that, made me- I was starting to. I was, I was like, God, somebody s- say something, stop this guy, you know. Um, and you can say, but teenagers are monsters to each other, and that still doesn't quite. It still doesn't quite account for what's baked into the time, which is like, oh, but this is okay, right? And you're like, it's yeah. really okay, but. But in the 80s, we all thought that was just how people are together. It was It's kind of horrifying.
3: It is. And, you know, I was really thinking about the 80s, actually, when I watched this. Because I'm like, is this just what it was like? You know, I mean, I was born in the 80s. So I don't really, you know what I mean, um, know what it was like in that sense. And then I think about movies like When Harry Met Sally, which largely holds up now as unproblematic. And yeah, it was, it's just like, it's so complicated. And and like you said, it it really was such an important movie. I'm thinking about how it grossed $50 million. I didn't know that. I wonder if it was like sort of, there were a lot of teenagers in the 80s, right? Like that's the baby, is that, I guess that's post baby boomer, but it's, there were a lot more teenagers in the 80s than there were.
1: The principal, the principal is a boomer. The principal and the janitor are boomers. Right. The kids in that movie are our generation, or Gen, Gen Xers. X,
3: yeah.
1: Right, right. Is the kids in Booksmart are the age that they would be the children of the children depicted in The Breakfast Club? That's the age. <laughs> how the age oh. things break out. Right. I'm awesome. doing all the talking. You know, let's let Chris get a word in it.
2: You know, one thing that I think. Is uh, and we talked about this a little bit last night when we watched The Breakfast Club. One thing that I think is a big difference between Booksmart and The Breakfast Club. I don't know if you saw this with watching all of these teen movies, but one of the big themes of the '80s, I think, you see it in teen comedies and you also really see it in horror movies of that era, is the kids are always on their own. They can't rely on the parents, and mm-hmm. they and. You watch the kids in The Breakfast Club and all of them to various degrees have bad relationships with their parents. Whereas you look at at Book Smart and it's positive relations relationships with parents. And I don't know, um, you know, what the and and we were saying that wasn't, even though that was what all of the movies were, that wasn't our experience personally and our friends. You know, basically everybody that we hung out with had Parents that were invested in you know and in them and interested in them, and it wasn't like everybody was a latchkey kid and you know had parents that didn't care about them or whatever but but that's a big theme of the eighties. I don't know if that was so you know John Hughes would have been a boomer, I'm sure I don't know if that was the the boomer uh generation if that was how they grew up, like with their parents like not just ignoring them or what but, but yeah. That's, has been a big theme to me of of eighties movies about teenagers that they're just completely on their own. They've got to figure it out themselves, and they can't. The parents are, are, you know, basically
1: useless. Well, in in Booksmart too, they're all driving themselves around, and they've all got their own cell phones, and they're all extremely independent. And they've got parents. We don't see a lot of the parents, but we see one of the characters' parents in Booksmart, and if anything. They're trying too hard mm-hmm. to be sweet. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> the joke is that there's just so progressive, like, everything is cool. It's fine. You're mm-hmm. gay. That's great. We love that. You know, they don't understand any better than the other parents do, but they're erring too much on the side. they are clowns in the other direction. Yeah. In The Breakfast Club, first of all, there's no cell phones. But every single one of those kids is dropped off. Even the rich girl is dropped off by her parents. And they're 16, they're, they're high school. They're 16, at least in The Breakfast Club, right? The characters? Yeah. So they, they would have their license, but I didn't, I didn't have a car at 16. No. And there was no expectation that I was going to get a car at 16 no. either. Yeah. Whereas I think kids today, it's like, here, here's all of your stuff. We're enabling you with everything. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's an overgeneralization.
3: No, but I definitely think there's something to that, right? Like the people who were raised in the 80s, there is this, I mean, you could speak to it better, Chris, because you're actually a parent, but I think there is this sort of like rubber band effect with the way that we treat kids and teenagers now. I think we do take them much more seriously than they were taken then.
1: For better or for worse, like I'm not prepared to speak. I don't have a thesis ready on that, but... (laughs) One thing you said earlier is the about the only thing in common. I actually saw a lot of similarities. I think um one of the things I remember the most about the breakfast club that came back to me was the soundtrack
0: mm. uh, yeah.
1: and how and there's at least two probably three musical montages where we don't have a claymation shot where there are Barbie dolls, and we don't there are some other surreal stuff that we don't have, but they certainly do. They've got that dance sequence when they're on, you know, so there's these montages where like, look, the the principal would hear them. They, didn't, they wouldn't get high in the library. Like mm-hmm. th- th- these are absurd. And it, it just goes towards the realm of like, at the time, those were surrealistic elements of the film. And then I think in Booksmart, like you say, actually going to stop motion is literally surreal and a totally, different way the idea of talking about homophobia in in uh the breakfast club so we've got these characters that are literally categorized by their archetypal uh stereotypes social boxes but then in book smart we have two the lead characters are both female one of them's gay that is absolutely not a problem there's lots of out gay characters in the school that's not depicted as a problem or even an issue, right? So, I mean, there's these, there's, we say similarities, but there's a lot of, I guess, talking points or themes that recur in both movies that you can juxtapose, like they hit a lot of the same marks in very different ways. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And the thought crossed my mind, like, maybe no breakfast club, maybe if there was no breakfast club, maybe you don't end up having a book smart in some ways. I think (laughs) the modern concept of this high school coming of age thing frequently has a lot of homage back to things we saw in the breakfast club. Yeah. I mean, I think it is hard to watch in 2023 because you, the things that hurt now, I mean, I'm sure it hurt some people then, but for most of us, like I didn't, we didn't think we did talk like that, and I'm ashamed to say it. But that was very common in high school to talk to each other that way, and you know, slur this and slur that, and it, nobody really thought it was any, a big deal. And you'd even hear teachers do it. You'd certainly hear adults doing it, and it, it, it you know, it's not an excuse. But I think at the time, it didn't stand out as... Like, it's not... Now it feels like the filmmaker is trying to make some alt-right point or something. It, I, that was... I don't think absolutely was not a part of the underlying intention of the movie in 1984.
3: No. Definitely not. I mean, John Hughes came from yeah. national... League, so he's... That yeah. was just humor. And if anything, was kind famous. of a fat
1: boy mentality humor. Yeah, Totally.
3: Yeah, like the makeover at the end and now... You know, I don't know the characters' names, but the
1: actors' names now. Allie, all of a sudden, is
3: so yeah, so desirable because we. Now she's now
1: she's pretty, yeah. Now she's (laughs) valuable. Now she's now now it works because we cleaned her up and she we made her fit the mold. Yeah,
3: right.
2: When I got home last night, I uh, I watched another movie when I got home called uh, that's brand new that just hit uh prime called Totally Killer. I don't know if you've seen the uh preview for it or anything, but it's a it's a horror comedy. And it's this girl who lives in this little town where in 1987 a serial serial killer killed three of her mom's friends. And her the girl's friend makes a time machine in a photo booth and the oh, wow. the girl accidentally gets sent back to 1987 the day before um, this the killing started, and it's like she's going to you know find out who did it and stop the killings. And they do some really smart things. It was, it was re- it was a would be a great also double feature with uh the breakfast club because they they really do some neat things with playing on her modern sensibilities. Uh, they you know they don't get into it a lot where people aren't using slurs and things like that, but like there's one, there was a girl who was who was killed in a car accident that, I mean, this is a comedy, which it does sound like it would be funny, (laughs) but the, the eight, 1987 girls are saying, Oh, that was fat Trish. And the 2023 girl is like, is like, uh, you can't say that. Why are you calling?" It's like, her name is Trish. It's not fat Trish. And like, there's a part where she goes to, she like sort of crashes a party and this girl has her boyfriend, like take her out. And the, the boyfriend just picks her up and like puts her over and she's like, you can't touch me like this, you know? And it's like the 1987 kids don't think anything about it, but her from 2023, you know, and she, uh, she goes to the school, you know, she realizes she's going to have to like be in the high school to be around the other kids. And they do a few scenes with, um, she goes in, you know, she goes to the front desk or whatever, and there's a woman there and she says, yeah, I'm so-and-so. And she says, I'm an exchange student from Canada and uh the woman goes okay here's your schedule and she goes you don't need to check me out in a database or anything and and uh, the lady just kind of looks at her and she's like you're late for gym class <laughs> yeah. and then they do it <laughs> like that where she's like security here is terrible <laughs> you know and but it's really funny how they they play on the you know how she would look at things and uh she's just appalled at like how mean these kids are to each other and the things that they say and all of this without having it be like oh look at this annoying woke girl you know it's it's never like the movie is like you know it was better then they're definitely presenting it as we've evolved beyond those things but i don't know it's i think it would be you might enjoy it because they really yeah. really play on a lot of those high school tropes and it's interesting how, you know, she, to see this modern girl reacting to that. Um, one thing that always comes up with Book Smart is people, oh, I watched after we watched it, I watched some, uh, reviews on YouTube. And in almost every single one, they would say, it's the female super bad, which I think is,
1: is reductive. Yeah. It's an
2: insult. I, it's so much better. I'm not saying Superbad is bad.
1: No, I mean it's but, it's Jonah Hill. I mean it's but, that those
2: guys. But but it's but I think Booksmart is a much better movie. And but wow. it's almost every review you see of it is like, oh, it's the female Superbad. And I wondered what you thought about that because it it does seem just very, you know, it's almost like it's a backhanded compliment or something.
3: Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, it's kind of hard not to draw the similarities because Beanie Feldstein is Jonah Hill's sister, and they look. So similar, so even even I said that last night. I I rewatched Booksmart for the hundred and fiftieth time, and you know when Amy gets out of the car and she's walking away and Molly's watching her. It did remind me of that escalator moment at the end of Superbad, which I don't remember very much because I saw it when it came out. Um, Yeah, I mean that's interesting. I think it is reductive though. I think Booksmart is just like an incredible movie i think even you know it's hard for comedy when it comes to recognition i think that comedy is really 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 hard and like i was saying there's not a wasted line in Booksmart. there's not one line that doesn't hit perfectly and i was thinking about this i was like why wasn't this nominated for an academy award for best screenplay i mean forget best director which i absolutely think it should have been but for best screenplay. This is the best screenplay probably that I, you know, of the films I've seen in the last, you know, five years. This is the best screenplay. Um, but I think it's because it was probably the same year as Little Women and uh, Marriage Story by two of the most brilliant writers of our time. So anyway, I feel like that's a little, that didn't really answer your question. I don't know what I think of it being, I can see why it's compared to Super Bad, but I do think it's a much better movie.
1: I, yeah, I, I, I haven't it. seen Superbad in a while. It's been a long time. Since but I my impression of it was that it was just, it, it was trying to be funny. That was a whole, like a lot of those Seth Rogen things is like, uh, hey guys, let's make a movie. <laughs> yeah. and, and they, and they try and <laughs> and they're funny people. So they make a funny movie that are just excuses for them to like riff on each other. But those movies don't seem to be doing anything, but to be popcorn summer comedies. And Smart, on the other hand, I felt like was very deliberately exploring some issues and some. Tri- There's a moment that I think is probably in the script was they ha- they're arguing at the party and everyone else takes their cell phones out and starts filming them. And at some point um, they notice that they're being filmed and that's how it would be read on the paper. But I think that. Uh, The director made a choice. There's the tenor of that moment is not in The Breakfast Club. There would be a sneering hostility to that. It's like we're going to it's a gotcha moment. We're going to film you guys in an embarrassing, um, you know, vulnerable moment but the the vibe of that in booksmart is very different it's almost as if something important is happening something that feels real is happening and every single person's impulse is to get is to record it not necessarily we're going to post this and make fun of you but like this is something worth keeping visual record of mm-hmm. and even when they realize they're being filmed you know nobody is delighted to realize that you're being filmed without your knowledge. But it isn't this world-crushing moment, at least this is my interpretation of it. It is, you know, it's disheartening, but it's not this world-crushing moment as much as, oh, I would have preferred that not to be on the record. And I feel like there's, there's some subtext there about this generation and our impulse to use our devices as an extension of ourselves where the assumption of our generation is it's all a rat race where we're all going to use these things to stab each other in the back. But I'm not sure that kids today necessarily have that impulse with their device. I think they view it as an extension of themselves and it's a way to record stuff that they think is important. Now that's, what do you guys think of that? Cause that's a lot. I don't know. Go ahead. Ahead, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, that's got- so
3: interesting. I mean, as you're talking, it's occurring to me that their phones are almost a character in the movie. They drive the plot forward, right? Like, they're the porn in the car with the principal. And then, <laughs> you know, yeah. with the party and they're like, how many pizzas could have been delivered? And they're watching it on Instagram. Like, okay, now we know the address because we know we have to go to the pizza place. And then she's trying to call the teacher, but she only has two seconds because her phone has 1%. I mean, it is interesting. To think about and then the way that molly in the morning finds out that amy was arrested is the video is online so it is interesting that the well, phones are a character in this
1: and in a horror movie nowadays if you're gonna you know if you you either make a retro horror movie that yeah. exists before cell phones because otherwise why doesn't one of these idiots just call the call police. for <laughs> help yeah. you always have a scene in which they're like quick call for help and they're like there's no reception out here. You have to you have to have a beat that explains why you cannot call for help in a modern horror movie. And I thought it was so interesting in Smart, like as you were saying, that they it takes account of how kids today are living a fundamentally different life in terms of digital <laughs> connectivity than I think even our generation like the way in which I use my phone is just fundamentally different. It's this, it's like a computer. It's a tool I use. And yes, I do all this stuff with it, but it would never occur to me to like use it in the three dimensional way that the kids today are. They just, it, it is an avenue that it feels wider open to this generation. I'm slipping into one of those things where I just sound like an old guy. So I'm going to show
2: Well, that. and I thought about that with uh, watching the breakfast club last night. You know, you have a lot of that where, you know, they're sitting there being bored, and now, if you remade that movie now, and the kids had their cell phones, they would be using their, you know, they would be doing stuff on their phones the whole time, and they would be less bored, presumably.
3: Totally. Um, they wouldn't talk to each other. The yeah. They would talk-
2: never yeah. Um, another thing with Smart, I think, compared to so many teen comedies, um, and uh, you know, I, I think the Breakfast Club is is playing on this idea where you have you know the jock and the the bully and the princess, you know, and the and the nerd and the weird weird kid, and you know it turns out that they're more than those stereotypes. But I think in Booksmart you don't the the kids are so much more human than in other teen movies where they're not the the stereotypes basically.
3: And so much kinder to each other. That really struck me. Because even when I was in high school 20 years ago, people were not kind to each other. It was more like... (laughs) Um... And I
2: don't know if that's reality or if it's just how it's written. But like this movie that I was talking about that I watched last night, this girl from 2023 and the way she interacts with her friends in the modern day is so much kinder than what these 1987 characters are. And I don't know if that's reality or if that's just how they're writing you know, these movies now or what, but because she's just very shocked about how mean everybody is to each other, you know? Um, And she actually, you know, they do kind of the back to the future thing and they talk about back to the future in the movie where, you know, she goes back and meets her mother and her mother in 2023 is this very kind, you know, person. And she's really nasty in 1987. And she's sort of like in this group of mean girls, um, and so they, you know, they make a lot of jokes about that. But, yeah, it it definitely yeah, seems like it definitely seems like when you watch teen movies that are made now, they present the kids as being a lot kinder. I don't know if that's like I said, definitely. I don't know if that's reality, really what kids are like or or what. I,
3: I think it is. I mean, we had some kids work on the film set, some high school kids. And just the way that they interacted with each other and the people around them, they were so like welcoming and accepting. And it, it really struck me. And so themselves like so open about who they are in a way that when I was a teenager, you probably couldn't have paid me to do that. So yeah, I, I do think it's that. I also wonder if there's some coastal element to it, right? Like these are in Booksmart, we're looking at Los Angeles, which is sunny year round. You know what I mean? These are city kids. In a in a beautiful warm climate versus the Breakfast Club, they choose to make it winter, you know, and it's a suburb of Chicago. It's not Chicago. Like I, I was thinking about that as well. Obviously it's a different time, but I also wondered about culturally sort of California versus the Midwest and sort of like if that makes a difference.
1: It might that's a good point. Yeah, it might. I uh you know, in terms of the meanness to the kids. It, it's not hammered upon, but one thing that I that I perceived in the Breakfast Club is they're they're actually Emilio Astavez's character, they're encouraged. Not <laughs> mm-hmm. but modeled for them by the adults in their lives. But there is almost this collective societal, you know, sort of a boys will be boys, and oh, you know, they're kids, this is what kids is. But it's There's a it's almost this encouragement of that kind of Lord of the Flies mentality of like, you know, you gotta fight for what you want, kid, and you gotta go out there. Don't be afraid to be a little rough with each other. And it's sort of like what the hell is that all about? Like Yeah.
3: It's true.
2: And we've talked about this before. Not that kids weren't you know, kids were definitely mean when we were in school, but you also see a lot of portrayals of especially men and you know teen boys where even friends are mean to each other they're always you know it's like all they're busting balls or whatever and we've talked about this before i don't know if we were just lucky or we were weird or what but our friend group like we weren't mean to each other no you know we weren't like oh we would joke around and tease a little bit but it wasn't like we were Cruel. Cruel to each other. Yeah. And it seems like so many portrayals. Why would you of,
1: stay friends?
2: Yeah. It's, but it seems like so many portrayals of, you know, male characters, like old, especially older, is like, and I, I mean, I definitely know guys that that's how they behave towards each other, but we were never like that,
1: you know. Well, and that's an 80s trope, too, that we don't see in this particular film, is the, is the captain of the ski team. Right? right. Better off dead. It's usually the guy with the pop collar. Yeah. Pulls up in the Porsche. And he's like, oh, look who just walked in. And everyone's like, oh. Yeah. You know, he's the kind of most popular guy in school. Neither is. of these movies really have those characters. No. No, we don't have the 80s rich boy, bad boy, captain of the you know football team guy. Um, and it's sort of divided between the rebel who is the one who's the most uh, acutely abusive Uh, and then, and then Claire, who's the sort of rich.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: But you find out with him, he's abusive because he's abused.
1: (laughs) Uh, It's trauma. Yeah. All of these, all of these kids are suffering from emotional and in some cases, physical trauma. (laughs) Abuse.
3: And these are, 16, 17-year-old kids. So they're not... Yeah, but In like, the
1: movies, they're kind of like, oh, well, that's what it is to be a kid. I'm like, abused? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 That's good stuff. I want to see that movie now. I want to see that
2: time. I dialogue. think you'd enjoy it. It's yeah. fun. I don't... Did you see... Did I- have you seen Happy Death Day? Mm-mm. It's the same filmmakers were in... That's, that's basically like a Groundhog Day where it's this... Young woman in college, and she she dies every day, and has to come back and you know repeat the day over and over again. But it's I made we made that movie. That's the movie we took to yeah, Sundance. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of yeah,
1: <laughs> some a bitch. Yeah,
2: it, it's a lot of the same, but it's I bet, it's I bet a, they made more money than we it's did. it's a comedy, so it's oh it's okay. Oh well, that's totally it's, different. It's played for last. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, but but yeah, it is the. Are there? Do you feel like? Melissa, with watching all those uh, teen movies that, are there things that that Book Smart really borrows from them, do you think, or is it kind of just doing its own thing?
3: I mean, I think that's what's so incredible about Smart is how much it's doing its own thing. I am yeah. struck by it. Every time I see it or read this, I just, like, can't believe. I mean, but it is, like, the screenplay is one thing, right? Like, the screenplay is incredible, but I think the way it's elevated with the direction. Cause when you read the screenplay, there's not the rap music. There's not the sort of like surrealism. That was all um, Olivia Wilde, you know, all of the, it. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's really unique. It's also sort of like feels like more rare to see a movie with female protagonists. I mean, plural in this case, who are funny because of what they're saying, right? Like they know they're funny. They're in on the joke. They're not like messy. And that's what's funny about them, you know, which can be very funny. But it's interesting that these characters are brilliant and they're sort of like, um, they're not trying to fit. Like that's kind of great. Like that is sort of like the really unique thing I think about Booksmart is that the goal of the nerds is not to fit in. Like, yes, it's to party before they go to college and they realize they've missed out, but it's not to be accepted. By their peers which i think is unusual
2: um when i think with the you know we were talking about co- comparing it to super bad i think that plays also into the you know the stupid stereotype that women aren't funny right you know and you uh i mean you know you have that's a great example of um, a great comedy with where the main characters are female, and also it's not a teen movie, but bridesmaids, also, which oh. is a you know a hilarious, and it's I mean one of the funniest movies that I can remember seeing in the in the movie theater. So totally. I you know I think I, that that's just always sort of bothered me. The it's a female super bad like well because women aren't as funny as. As men.
1: Or know. because there's no way you could get your head around this concept unless you use the sort of compare male them. example as a springboard to get you there. Yeah. You're like, so so. it's women, but they're funny? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: Have you guys seen Joyride? Oh, nope. man. That is, I said, I was like, this is the new Bridesmaids. It is the funniest movie I've seen since Bridesmaids in that genre. It's like female buddy action. And it is so funny.
2: Like, who's in it?
3: Ashley Park is in it. Um, Stephanie Shu, I think is her name. I don't know the other actors. Um, It's incredible. Adele Lim made it, who made Crazy Rich Asians.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. It
3: is so funny. I can't recommend it enough. And it, it really is like, oh, this is the best thing I've seen in this genre since Bridesmaids. It really felt like the new Bridesmaids.
1: occasions so. was great. Did you guys see that? Yeah. That, that's a yeah. great movie.
3: Well, you should definitely you know, watch the same director. I will.
2: With Olivia Wilde also, um, you know, I'm trying to think of somebody else recently who made such a great transition from, you know, not like she stopped acting, but from actor to to director and you know, I think to just the general audience it sort of came out of nowhere. Um and I'm I'm just trying to think, can you think of somebody else, either of you, recently that um, you know, was like a big star and and their first movie that they did was so uh was so good.
1: Not off the top. So of I know
2: uh, uh I forget what the title of it is, but Chris Pine recently made his director. Directorial debut, and I don't know if it was at at Sundance or at I forget where it was, what festival. And I guess like it was really widely panned that the movie's really terrible. Um, Too bad. so yeah, and you know, we talked, oh, go ahead, sorry,
3: I would say Greta Gerwig. I mean, she yeah. was an actress for years and then she co wrote Francis Ha, but Lady Bird was her directorial debut, and that was yeah. unbelievable. And she yeah. wrote and directed it, which I think, yeah, it's even harder.
2: We did "Don't Worry, Darling" on the show, and we really—I mean, both of us liked it a lot, and we felt like it was unfair. I don't know if it was all of the behind-the-scenes stuff that, but but well, we thought it was really good too. It got just like really
1: yeah, dragged, and really, I was like,
2: "This is pretty good." Yeah, people like, really panned it. You why know? are people? Uh, our-
3: the, the rumor, which by the way is not true was that she had left Ted Lasso for this young actor, singer who's in the movie. First of all, the idea for Ted Lasso as a TV show, Olivia Watt, first of all. (laughs) But the misogyny just like in the media and in our culture surrounding her, especially with Don't Worry Darling, was really disheartening because she is such a force. And like, I mean, just one of the best directors, I think, out there.
2: And two movies that couldn't be any different many more different from each other than, and so I hope it doesn't, it's two super interesting movies. So I hope it doesn't, you know, mess up her, uh, chances to direct more because wow. she did two really great, you know, I mean, book smart is a better movie than don't worry, darling, but it's, it's kind of hard to compare
0: them.
3: Well, and she yeah. wrote, don't worry, darling. I mean, Booksmart yeah. was written by the writing team that did 80 for Brady. It's <laughs> sort of funny. And- oh and, wow. The original book smart was about um, like a lead up to prom. And then Olivia Wilde got her hands on the script and brought in Katie Silberman to rewrite it, who also produced it. Um, And so that's just like going to be such a different tone because Olivia Wilde actually wrote Don't Worry, Darling. Yeah. Um, Anyway, but she is. I I like
1: it a lot, Don't Worry, Darling. I, I do think it, in some ways, it tried to tackle, like, there was a lot to make it the sort of sci-fi thing to make it the sort of social sci-fi thing to layer on the sort of dual consciousness thing, the Jordan Peterson stuff and the alt-right, you know, male rights. There was a lot, there was a lot of stuffing in that turkey. And that's just hard. I mean, that's just hard to make all of that fly in a single movie. I think she did an admirable job with it. But then you throw in some behind, you know, some onset drama and you get the studio starting to, you know, play tug of war with the direction you're going. And that doesn't make it any easier. Mm-hmm. And uh,
3: it's the pandemic, right? So like,
1: yeah, it's yeah. a pandemic. And it's also, I, I think sci-fi is hard. Like high concept sci-fi is hard anyway. Mm-hmm. It, it's hard even if you've got a real single thing to land. So she, she, she. For her second movie, I think she bit off a lot and she did a great job with it. But people are looking for you to top your first movie with your second movie. And so the second movies are really hard, I think.
3: Oh, especially. Yeah. I mean, especially to have an
1: instant
3: classic feature. That's a lot of pressure, I'm sure. But her things are really great. I mean, it's I think her background as an actress helped her be a better director, right? Like she talks about this idea of, I've listened to every interview with Olivia Wilde, if you can't tell, but she talks about this idea of um, how she thinks it's kind of BS that actors are called the talent on set and how the entire crew should be treated equally as the talent, you know, and, and just like her instincts around this the stop motion and her instincts around, she had Beanie Feldstein and Caitlin Devers live together for nine weeks before they shot Booksmart, just to so would have that sort of like, not just they like each other, but they also annoy each other sort of chemistry. So I think that she um, I think she will do fine. She's also I think she's already been tapped to do the TV adaptation of Visit from the Goon Squad, which is that Pulitzer novel by Jennifer Egan. So um, she'll be fine. She'll be fine. She'll be fine.
1: We're not worried about Olivia. <laughs> Hey d- d- Melissa, tell us about uh, talk about your work a little yes. bit. Yes, because I know you're. She's a big influence on you, but you are a writer and a director.
3: Yeah, she's a big influence. Greta Gerwig, I would say, has been a big influence since long before she was Barbie. You know, <laughs> she is now, although she continues to be amazing. Um, well, I have a background for a long time as a first. I was a fiction writer and then a screenwriter. Um, in New York. And then I moved out to LA to get a job in a writer's room and sort of realized that that was not for me and, um, walked back the careers of all my heroes, uh, including Mark Duplass, who's like really up there with these people that we're talking about. And sort of this idea of like, not waiting for success to find you, but like finding it yourself, not necessarily monetary success, but creative fulfillment. Um, and so I just started making my own movies with no money and good friends. And, and um, my first project, I learned a lot. I feel like it was a film school amount that I learned on that, um, but I was fortunate that it went to some festivals. And and then Chris and I just, just made Geriatric Millennials, which is about um, two best friends in their 30s on their last night together um, before one of them leaves. They're in New York and one of them's moving to LA for a job. And um, upcoming, we have a movie about teenagers.
1: It's set, and we're going to shoot a um, uh, proof of concept, right? A drama yep. class. So there's there were some drama students in Booksmart that made me think of some of the characters in yours, right?
3: You know, on the rewatch, it's so funny because they stood out to me so much more now that I'm right. So. Um, Basically, it's about this grieving teenage girl. It's a comedy, but she's just lost her dad and she's on the debate team and she sort of just gets in a fight with this bully because all of her grief is coming out through rage and she's sort of shy otherwise. And her sentence is instead of being expelled or suspended is to join the drama club. So she can kind of learn to be a little bit of a better team player and also process her grief. And that's sort of like the general idea. And so... You know, I went to a performing arts high school. I did a lot of theater growing up, but that's a long time ago. And so I'm sort of just like envisioning these characters. And then so anyway, so to rewatch Booksmart from that vantage point was really interesting because like Noah Galvin's character, I always thought was amusing, but didn't stand out to me in the way that he did this time. Um, I mean, what a talent. Have you guys seen Theater Camp?
2: No, I'm familiar oh, with I- it. But I haven't seen it.
3: Molly Gordon, who plays Annabelle in Booksmart, and Noah Galvin, who plays George, I think, the theater kid, who does that incredible um, karaoke to Alanis like the best. Um They're both in it, and they're completely different characters and, and really, really funny. But yeah, it was, it was interesting. The theater kids really stood out to me more in Booksmart on this watch than they have before.
1: It, you know, one of the things I love about your writing is the zingy dialogue which both of these films, both The Breakfast Club in, in its 80s way, and Booksmart in it's, its 2020, what was it, 2019? 2019, 2019. 2019 way, um, is this it, sort of, I mean, kids love to to talk zingy dialogue to each other, but it's very crafted. It's very funny what they say to each other. It's almost a rap battle of the kind of repartee, the density of their repartee is, is, is really a characteristic of both films, and it's certainly a characteristic of of your work that I know. Um, talk a little bit about that. What 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 attracts you to that, or
3: I don't know. I mean, that's a great question. I I think that I'm just a little bit immature, so the way that teenagers speak and joke around with each other just lives inside me. Kind of, you know, like everybody thinks they're funny, and I think to some extent everybody's right. And I think as long as it makes you laugh, it probably will make at least someone laugh. I mean, there's someone out there who doesn't think Smart's funny. I can't imagine it, but there has to be, right? Like some tiny portion of the population. So I think that's kind of like what I, my goal is in my work is sort of just to amuse myself and hope that it's amusing to someone else too. Yeah, um, it is. time's it is. hard. Time's really hard. Drama, I find having written one drama, um, is much easier because you really want to bring through like the universality of whatever human experience you're, you're conveying in your work and also make it funny. And funny is always a little bit of a heightened reality, right? Like even if you're someone who's funny and jokes a lot, it's not going to be like book smart where every single line is a zinger. And yet we're still so connected to these characters and we still believe that we're in the backseat of a car with them. I mean, it's a really challenging thing to do more than drama, which is almost, um like a like a documentary style of could be a real conversation there's a heightened reality in comedy where you have to keep yourself grounded in this could really be happening, and yet it's funnier than real life.
1: they're all zingers, like everything everyone's saying is a zinger, but yeah. it still needs to feel naturalistic there's something that we we've talked about this several
2: times on the show and something that i I think about a lot in terms of movies is, you know, how much the movie business has changed and that there just aren't, you know, we grew up, you know, with Star Wars and Indiana Jones and all this stuff that we were into, but we were also just as into comedy movies. And so many of our, you know, growing up, like our, you know, it was like Ghostbusters or whatever, but, you know, all of these comedies that were huge. And now because of... um you know, so much now, the movies aren't even necessarily made for an American audience. You know, they're meant to sell everywhere. And comedy doesn't necessarily translate to, you know, different countries and different cultures. So you just don't see the, we were, you know, we were going through and looking at the box office of these, just the John Hughes movies. And it was like, well, here's a $1 million budget, and it made 51 million. And, you know, here's a, $6.5 Six and a half million dollar budget and it made 28 million. And, you know, these were all viewed as hits. Whereas now it's like everything has to make a billion dollars, you know, and that's hard to do with comedies because, like you're saying, you know, it's not to have a comedy that's going to appeal to that huge of an audience. Um, and I, so I wonder with younger, with, you know, especially like teenagers now. Is comedy as much of a thing to them as what it was to us in that format, you so know, in that
1: format? Because I think we've got TikTok and yeah, we've got you these have all, these all the short, short, form, short these micro know, short formats that there's really some hilarious stuff on the yeah, internet that you see very, a lot yeah. of young people making, but they're thirty seconds or less, fifteen seconds, vines, you know, vine length, where it's you just you have to set up a thing and you have to. You know, set it and spike it. And it's just a very, very different format. I mean, when Breakfast Club came out, you made a movie, you sold a movie to distributors, they sent it out, and then it made what it made based on how many people bought tickets in the physical theater. It, with Breakfast Club, there were, people weren't even renting videotapes, right? That, that mm. came later in the 80s. So I, I think, right? Yeah. I mean, they yeah. existed, but they weren't a thing. You didn't, you couldn't do the example I used was Ace Ventura, which was I think basically a flop in theaters, but then ended up at the time being one of the highest renting and selling uh, uh, VHS. It, that what put that him and that movie on the map was rentals and and video cassette. Um, so the, there was that for a while, but now in the streaming thing, where all the different streamers and Netflix and they're making their own stuff it it's it's so diffuse and the algorithms now they're trying to leverage all the data they're collecting from streaming stuff to influence the product. I keep coming back to to a million dollar budget. I don't know the story of a Breakfast Club, but it at a million dollars, my impulse is that's an independent film, right? You're shooting on film you're clearly paying union people. These are professionals. You know, they're not doing like we do where everybody's working for sandwiches. Uh, you've, you've got some deal with the school and you're paying and feeding all the crew. You have to interact, which keeps $100 million. But you get to a million dollars paying union people and shooting on film like that. And you probably shot that film a month. I mean, if they spent more than a month on that single location film shooting it, I'll be surprised. And I just think the thing is, is it's a revolutionary at an hour and a half that it does what it does. It's slow, but you care about the characters And the cringy stuff aside. I mean, I don't like the way it makes me feel for reasons we've already discussed in a number of places. But you do have intense feelings. Right. I mean, when they're when they're basically assaulting Claire. My heart was racing. Like anytime you make a movie that makes an audience feel something, it's a success. Uh, Hopefully you don't make the audience feel like they're being assaulted, (laughs) but (laughs) that they're they're worried about the character. But to me, you kind of can't make that film anymore, or you can make it. And if you're lucky, you sell it to somebody and then it's out of your hands. Like you never see a piece of that $50 million it makes. Cause it's just not structured like that anymore. You know, we can make your feature. And then the distribution is this game of like, who gets to screw you out of all the money it's worth. I think,
2: you know, we were, when we were going through those John Hughes movies, they're all really modest budgets. Um, I think the only one that I actually saw in the theater was Ferris Bueller's day off. And I think the budget was about $6 million for it. Um, you know, and that was after he was well established. Yeah. You know, that was after The Breakfast Club and, and after Pretty and Pink. So And Sixteen Candles. And Sixteen Candles, yeah. And and also, um, it seems like for comedies to get made now and to be a really big hit, they have to be some kind of a high concept thing. Whereas these movies where it's like it's kids in detention on a Saturday, or it's a kid takes, you know, he skips school for a day, you know, and all kinds of crazy things happen, but they're, it's not like, you know what I mean? It seems like everything now has to be really high concept for it to.
1: I feel like the studios must not have thought of our demographic kids basically as an audience. So you had Disney and you had cartoons and you had kids movies that are like under 10. There were movies aimed at kids. And the successful ones of those, the parents could enjoy as well. Mm E.T. was a kid's movie that the parents could relate to and enjoy as well. This is a movie aimed at junior high and high school students. Mm -hmm. And if the parents liked it and enjoyed it, that's fine. But two 30-year-olds on a date were unlikely to go see, you want to go see The Breakfast Club? Like, why? It's a movie about kids in detention. I don't know, I'm speculating, but I, I almost feel like what grew out of the 80s at this time was thinking of of that new audience and saying, well, what are the kind mm-hmm. of 12 to 18-year-olds going to like? Because they're starting to have some pocket money and their parents will take them to the theaters and theater, you know, film is kind of blowing up in the 80s as a great big money-making, you know, there was a golden era there in the 80s of, of films and malls opening up and malls all having a multiplex. And I think they started thinking about who are the who are the people hanging around the mall with pocket money. Yeah. You know, oh they're the twelve to eighteen year olds. Like let's make some movies aimed at them. And what great movies they were.
2: I mean well and again with that comedy, you know, us growing up with comedy, you would just you know, you would be and you know, most of these movies I saw on HBO. Yeah. You know, instead of seeing in yeah a, in the movie theater. Um, cause some of them we were a little too young for, but, but then you would go to school and you would just quote all of these movies, you know, over and over again, over and friends, over again. Yeah. you know, and I guess maybe, and, you know, even as old guys, we're doing this, like you share TikToks, you know, with we're each, still doing it. With we're each, still talking right? about the movies. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, but, but you're also sending, you know, we're sending TikToks. Oh, I saw this movie. TikTok. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, we're doing that. So I guess maybe instead of quoting
1: the things, kids are probably just showing each other, the TikToks or whatever, yeah, but yeah. I don't, yeah. or make, they or make, the you know, stuff. somebody will make a viral thing and then everybody will make their take or their version or their plus up of that viral. That's part of it going viral is everybody taking a pass, taking a, taking a swing at it, um, which is amazing, which is awesome. Some of the, some of the homage ones are even better than the original.
2: In some ways, I I wish we, you know, you think like, wow, like I was talking to a friend the other day who said, Oh, I'm glad there wasn't social media when we were, you know, in high school, because I wouldn't have wanted, you know, that stuff. But if TikTok would have
1: existed when we were kids, we would have just been making short, you know, we would have making all TikToks the all the time. I mean, you people know. make so much of the negative of social media, and there's plenty of negative to uh, to talk about. But that sort of ignores how amazing all of this interconnectivity is. It's and I think actually just to bring it back around to the movies, Smart does highlight that mm-hmm. in some ways that aren't, doesn't make it feel like you're being preached to. It's just part of the fabric of these kids' lives. And it doesn't feel toxic and it doesn't feel like it's, oh, it's the thing that's rotting their brains. It just feels like, oh, this is the new technology we live with and incorporate into our lives. And we use it in a variety of ways that we all like. So, I mean, that's an example of it just being in the movie and sort of being a message of the movie without feeling like it's being harped on. Yeah. Wow. We're. I want to be mindful of time. I, I don't know, Melissa, do you, it's 5.01. Do you got to go? Okay. Yeah. I mean, we can keep talking. We usually keep these to about an hour, but sometimes we just keep rolling. <laughs> you know, one thing with The Breakfast Club that also really stood out
2: to me watching it last night, and I think about, you know, what, kids like a teenager now would watch it i was really surprised at the pacing of it it yeah. it's never boring but it's slow um you know and it 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 kind of takes its time you know with introducing all of them and and i wonder i mean i think about like i watched the graduate when i was in high school and really loved that movie so you know, I felt like I could, and what was that? 1968 or something, you know, so that was a movie before we were born that I, you know, that resonated resonated with me to a degree, but I just wonder if, if kids would watch something like the breakfast. I mean, definitely. I think kids would be upset about the, the cringy aspects of it. It's upsetting. Um, But I just wonder what, you know, if the pacing would, if it would just be too slow for a modern audience.
3: I think. Well, it's kind of like a play, right? Like most yeah, of it yeah. takes place in one room. Um, so I do think that with the 30 second TikToks that we have access to now that make us laugh, to take that long to get to the yeah. joke and get to know the characters, I think, what is probably more difficult now. Even Book Smart, I mean, it's like a lot of really heavy punching scene after scene after scene after scene, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, both films also play with this sort of concept of cheesiness, like what is lovable cheese for any given era. And I feel like part of what I love about the Breakfast Club is how cheesy as a lot of it is. That doesn't—it's not cheese that it has aged super well, like oh, right down to the ending freeze shot of him. You know, you're like, oh boy, boy, yay. uh So cheesy. But uh, I wonder if we'll look back on Booksmart and feel like um, that was awesome at the time, but some of that stuff feels cheesy in a way that's not forward-moving. Like, maybe maybe in high school, whatever's popularly cheesy is, is always destined to go a little stale over time. Mm-hmm. You think? Yeah, I don't know.
3: two movies yeah. that use music so heavily, I think. Of course.
1: Yeah. Although I love that, I still love the soundtrack of The Breakfast Club. Mm-hmm. It's dated. But that was, that a was those were good we were
2: listening to. Yeah, yeah those
1: are good bands and good songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we didn't talk
2: about so did you specifically watch so we did what was it? Uh, no One Will Save You? Yeah. So was that the reason that you watched Booksmart? Had you not seen it before? I watched. I watched. So I don't movie. know if you know um, Melissa that, is is—is it Caitlin Beavers? Is that how her or name Dever. is pronounced? Is Dever. So she's in this new Hulu movie called No One Will Save You. Do you know anything about it? Um, Which is really great. It's, a, it's an alien invasion movie basically. She's this young woman who lives in this big farmhouse that uh, her mother died and it was left to her and basically, and there's a alien invasion, and she has to fight these aliens. And there's virtually no dialogue in it. It's almost entirely, I
1: mean, there's maybe like 20 words in it or something. And so I like. don't think there's a scene without her in it. It, it is all is, her. She carries the whole thing. She movie. is incredible. She She's in amazing. It. Yeah. I think she is amazing. And I had intended to see Book Smart anyway because of conversations that I had had uh, with Melissa and because I know that. That film in particular, but Olivia Wilde is such an influence on your work, and particularly this upcoming feature that we're going to start working on. Um, but then you had mentioned this new Netflix thing about a horror stuff that's a little more in our typical wheelhouse, and in looking at it, I thought, you know, that actor looks really familiar to me. And you had said, "Oh, well, she was in Booksmart and this other mm-hmm. stuff," and I'm like, "Oh, well, there's that second degree. I got to watch it now because." I got to see what this is doing, especially after watching. I watched the horror film first. She is amazing. You're just like, she's going to be a. Oh, my God.
2: I didn't realize until I later looked at the credits that I just thought, oh, she seems really familiar. And I didn't realize it was her from because she looks a little bit different. You know, she has a different
1: haircut. It's the same face uh Well, she's acting. I mean, she's doing a phenomenal job in a totally different character type. I, I was so impressed, I thought I man, I would love to work with her. Yeah, you just watch day. it and I'm you like, think Oh, you gotta catch a piece of that star. Like she is gonna yeah. big. she's gonna be he's gonna be a massive star. It's a really great movie. Um, and she's great in book smart too. Yeah. But you know, you don't know how much of that is just you know, like uh David Schwimmer is a good actor, but you know, as Ross, he's just kind of David Schwimmering. I mean that's <laughs> if you met David Schwimmer, you it would be kind of like having dinner with Ross. So yeah. That's fine. I'm, no no offense. You wonder if, if, well, maybe she's just like that. Maybe that's great casting and they found somebody's, any single movie is a one-off, but then you get a second point and you go, wow, that is, that's, to carry a movie all by yourself with almost no dialogue. And it's a horror film, but there's a lot of emotion coloring that she colors in between the lines about loss and longing, and her mother, and sadness. and She just does an amazing, it's really such amazing. an expressive face. She's, she's terrific. I, I recommend it, even if, I know horror is not your thing. It's not, it's, it's not oh, super scary. It's, it's, you know, it's not gross. It's not like people getting cut up with the chainsaw. It's scary. There's somebody in the room, it's an alien, looking mm-hmm. for me in my house and I'm hunting. That kind of scary. But yeah. She, G- and it's PG thirteen, yeah. So it's not like it's super. Yeah, there's some like, oh god, that was scary, but it's not like you're gonna have nightmares about it. Um, and as much as you like Booksmart, I mean, you, it's worth it. Yeah. So just for her
2: performance, it's so great, it's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, Is there anything that good. we that we haven't touched on with either of the movies that you that you'd really like to get into?
3: Um. Oh, uh, the fight scene in Booksmart. We should talk about that for a minute.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
3: What? I I just, I, I can't get over first feature. Like the brilliance of having it be one take from the minute that Amy gets out of the pool all the way through the house into the fight, the entire fight, which was scripted, right? Like the music thing came in post, how the music swells over the fight until Molly leaves. I... Was watching it last night, and I was like, Holy, like that is really hard to do. One yep. take is sh- coming out of the pool, walks yep. through this entire house, gets in a fight, and then one of them leaves. I just thought that was incredible. And I guess their steady cam op did Birdman, and that was why Olivia wow. wanted that because she was like, All right, well, we're gonna get long shots then. <laughs> like, I know you yeah. can do it. um That was one shot, and so was the dance sequence, which is also super impressive. Um, but it was interesting because as we were editing this short that Chris knows the story, but as we're editing the short that we just made, there's a fight, you know, there's this climactic fight moment. And I was sitting with our editor and I was like, what if we just had music like swell over the fight? And so it did. And, you know, I was like, "Eh, it doesn't really work for this. And then a few days later, I was like, oh, I stole that from Booksmart. And then I went back and watched it. And sure enough, but it's just so interesting that that wasn't even the plan. Like, like Olivia Wilde, was sitting with the editor and was like, let's let's see what happens if we just have the music come up and and it covers all the dialogue because it doesn't actually matter what they're saying at this point. And, and in terms of like universality and relating to these characters, we can put our own stuff onto what they're saying. Like we can decide what, what the end of this fight is about. Anyway, I think that's the only thing that I was sort of just like, so in awe of the brilliance um, that we haven't talked
2: about.
1: And the Come quality up. on the page, in the script, the quality of the fight too, does not, inla- correct me if I'm misremembering, they they are yelling, they're unloading on each other forcefully. But I kept waiting for them, for one of them to say something unforgivable that you can't unsay. Right. Right. When you feel cornered and hurt, I'll, maybe I'll keep it first person. A lot of times when I feel cornered and hurt, I have the impulse, I feel hurt, so I want to hurt the other person back. And then I feel bad. I'm like, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. And I say something that you then have to try and unsay or take back. And I don't remember either of them doing that. They just said the things to each other that they hadn't been saying, right? That they had been bottling up. So The tenor of the thing was a little scary, the way fights can be, watching two people fight. I don't feel like either of them ever really crossed a line. They just lay all of their cards on the table. Sure, at the top of their voices, but there was never a point where you thought one of them might hit one of the other one, or verbally hit, you know what I mean? Like, slash out at the other person in a cutting way. Am I misremembering that? But I, I, when that was over, I thought, "Wow, that was a really interestingly written fight." Because I don't think either of them said anything that you you wouldn't be able to get past later.
3: Right, it's true. I mean, she did. Molly calls Amy a coward, and then they both say they're bad friends. But yeah, there's nothing which then makes Amy be the diversion for the police because she's like, "I'm not a coward." Yeah, I mean, it, it drives the and,
1: up. and that's yeah. rough.
3: Never but- something. Deeply mean or cutting
1: um never unforgivable, never what? something like really just for it's cruel for its own sake with the intent of hurting, yeah,
3: that's true, unlike the breakfast
1: club and i mean unlike the exactly <laughs> unlike the breakfast club, I mean calling someone a coward that's that's a slap, but it's also fair like.
3: Yeah. It's not a punch. Yeah. It's a
1: way of, a way of being like, well, I think you're being cowardly about this. And so there's an honesty to it yeah. that it merits further conversation, but it's not like, well, I, I, mean, I wish I hadn't said it in that context in that way, but I do feel like you've been dodging. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, yeah.
3: I, I, I sign of, like not protecting each other's feelings in the way that happens a lot in female friendships. Things yeah. sort of it, that happens in my short as well. It's like, things boil up because you don't want to hurt each other's feelings and you want to, you know, really a uh, women are, you know, we want to be nice and we want to make people happy and people please. And then all of a sudden it bubbles up into this argument where they're just being like brutally honest with each other, but not yeah. cruel. Yeah. Cause ultimately they love.
1: Yeah. yeah. It never loses the love. You never yeah. lose the love. And I think that makes it plausible later when they just slip right back into that friendship and you realize, Oh, it's, well, it's ne- never went away. Like that wasn't. Yeah. And how But I'm, that was not really at risk. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And talk yeah. about Caitlin. Evers. Like she gets out of the, to follow her from that moment all the way through the house and the panic on her face. And then she remembers all of her lines in this scene. And she's so in the argument, you know, I, I can't imagine that, that that was easy as an actor either. Um,
1: But she made it, both of them She made it look easy She made it look, that's why you're so, it's so plausible As you're just like, oh, well, that's what happened And you're like, no, no, that's an actor getting out of a pool In a long single take, you're right I mean, Um, it
3: kind of has A similar, you know Magic Both movies have this sort of magic That comes with everybody on the crew being Really important Like if Booksmart had been shot by someone else It would have been different If Booksmart had been sort of I'd, like if there had been a different cast, it would have been different. If it had been lit differently, it would have been different. Um and it wouldn't have been quite the magic that happens when it all comes together in that way. Yeah.
2: You know, another actor that I really like in BookSmart is uh Billy Lord and she's is her character Gigi. <laughs> um he's Carrie Fisher's daughter.
1: Oh, interesting. Um, yeah.
2: And and I think she's, a, I know if you're not into horror, you she's done a bunch of work on uh, American Horror Story. She's been in several seasons of that. And she's a really, you know, on the one hand, um, you know, you would have people saying, well, she's Carrie Fisher's daughter, so obviously she's going to get all these chances and everything. But also being constantly compared to Carrie Fisher, I'm sure, and but she's been able to kind of forge her own her own way, and I yeah. really like her in the movie. And I mean, I've liked her in almost everything I've seen her in. I think she's a really interesting actor.
3: She's great. She's so funny mm-hmm. in that movie. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> they all are. I, yeah, Billy Lord and Beanie Feldstein were on like the wish list, and they just got lucky and got the most. Wow. Oh, okay. Really, yeah, it's sort of that idea of like magic. I mean, she's unbelievable in it, and her character is so ridiculous. We have not seen a character like that. Mm -hmm. You know, she's a very unique character. All the characters, I would say, are pretty
1: unique. Yeah, it it explores a best friendship where one of the characters is gay, and. it's not an issue. Like it, it, That's such a problem in The Breakfast Club. Yeah. And, and this is just, not only is her not being gay, but the fact that they make a joke out of it with the parents. That Beanie's character is deliberately screwing with both her best friend and her best friend's parents because she loves, she thinks it's so funny that the parents assume they're girlfriends. And <laughs> you know the uh Aitlin's character is too mortified to like have that direct conversation with her parents but there's that scene where they're leaving and she's just really raking them all over the coals ah uh, I, I think it's so funny
3: we're going to do a korean face mask and then Lisa Kodro goes i don't need to know all the I words i don't need to know the words <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's great i mean talk about like Lisa Kudrow and Will Forte are like these side characters. I mean, yeah,
1: what a cat. yeah.
3: And Sudeikis is brilliant. Yeah, it's
1: really. It's great. Yeah, that that moment where they're they're looking at a video and the Bluetooth picks it up is. <laughs> is <laughs> and then they, can't, then they can't. figure out how to turn it off. <laughs>
0: He's,
1: what did he say? He said, "Was that Cardi B?"
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah. I guess, personally, the Uber driver and the principal were two different characters. I mean, so Booksmart only had a $6 million budget, which is absurd. I mean, that's yeah. for how yeah. Like, you know, that's $50,000 in 1987 or whatever. Um, but, I mean, that might be an exaggeration. But you get what I It's very low budget, which I was shocked by. Um, well, but it, it were supposed to be two different characters. And because of the budget cuts, they had to make it one. They decided to make it one character, which actually ended up being such a great thing. I mean, it's so much funnier because
1: he's yeah. there, I think. I think the $6 million budget in 2019 is pretty commensurate with a $1 million budget in, yeah. in 1984. That's, yeah, probably It's it's officially like a no-budget movie now. He's, I mean,
3: uh, it's incredible what
1: they pulled off. Like. Yeah, you, but you'd have to pay Sudeikis. I mean, I know they, weren't, they had a relationship, so I don't know. He may have taken a break on it. But there are actors in Booksmart that you have to pay. And yeah. there's more one location and you don't get you don't get the steady cam guy from Birdman for nothing. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, he's not your your so
3: thirty people and anything
1: that they made that for six million all over yeah. LA.
3: I know. I was thinking as I was watching it like wow this must have a huge budget. And then to look it up it was like unreal.
2: What was the box office do you know?
3: I don't know, but I'm I mean
1: look it up um yeah this was a this was really uh i think this was a great pairing i think watching these two films and 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 talking about the tension between them makes a ton of sense thank you melissa for suggesting it
3: yeah it was fun i feel like you guys about the breakfast club has helped me not that i was like this movie's terrible because i do appreciate what it was in its time like the first of the teen movies truly But it has also like talking to you two about it, what it meant to you at the time has sort of like helped me uh, increase that appreciation for it. Because it is hard to watch It's basically I mean, I think I saw it once as a kid. So truly, it was not living in my memory at all when I saw it again.
2: My this problem. It's been a long time since I've seen. 16 candles but it's way more problematic isn't it
1: Oh my god yeah. 16 candles is just downright rapey Yeah you, you have, and have the rapeiness kind of like, yikes oh, it isn't, there... isn't there Yikes. don't you have like the chinese character that I think they you make
3: have an up? asian character that's like yeah, a real... yeah.
1: yeah. long uh, dong long, dong yeah and yeah with the full on like uh mickey rooney like oh, very sexy girl. like yeah. every the whole 9 yards and you're kind of like ay 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 hey I, again, I hate to admit it. That was just like standard operating procedure in the eighties. And we like, that's hilarious. Well, and also. Oh yeah. Go
2: ahead. I was going to say the, the, the rapey aspect. That was also a thing where it was like women being tricked into having sex with somebody. You know, yeah. That was a big thing.
1: And then the character the just you kind of being like you guys. Yeah, and they kind yeah. of get over it, you know, and the whole machine of it was kind of like, well, that's just how it is. And you're kind of, Almighty. And I think what 16 Candles was actually lauded for a little bit in the time was you have the character while the girl is unconscious and he is offering it to the, and, and she's like, do whatever you want with her. You know, be, I, I can, he is that he, there's a moment in which he acknowledges how messed up this is. He doesn't stop and they don't write, but he's just kind of like the fact that he mentions yeah, this is kind of messed up, but that's the way the world works. Was at the time was like how oh, progressive? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, well, but they don't do anything. They don't do anything progressive or chivalrous. They just mention that this is kind of messed up that they're such pigs. Yeah, <laughs> what?
3: I mean, I think the progression has happened in the last five or six years with the Me Too movement. I do. I mean, you have yeah. movies about fat Trish. I mean, when was Shallow How? That was the yeah. early 2000s. Yeah,
0: exactly. You know, I
3: mean, there are movies that I yeah. watched. 2009 that it's like cringe city and 2015 even you know i mean there are i think the change has been rapid with social media instagram especially and tiktok and and then the me too movement i think i think it's been a more of a rapid change um than it had yet because even i was in high school in the 2000s and it was just as brutal as right <laughs> was gone, at least in the way people treated each other yeah um so I do think that that sort of progress has ha- has been more rapid in recent years than it than it was from say like the eighties to the early aughts of the two. I mean, look at Britney Spears. I mean, talk about you know sort of this like horrible cultural takedown.
1: Oh yeah, the nineties were the nineties were terrible. <laughs> the nineties, the nineties were yeah. also terrible, and I think the two thousands were also terrible in their own way. You're oh, right. My- It's been a lot of change in a really short amount of time.
3: Body positivity did not exist when I was in college. You know, that was not a thing yet. So, yeah, I think it has changed rapidly for the better and hopefully Mm -hmm. will continue to.
1: Yeah, I think you see a lot of comedians of our age pushing back on some of it. And the thought I frequently have is that's just ingrained. Like, I don't think you're a bad person, dude, but... I think you should. Some of them are. <laughs> some of them are. I think I'm like, I think you should just shut up about these jokes for right now until you catch up because you're just you're not helping. And that's not the point. And, and you're just stuck like a lot of us old people are. You're just stuck in a mindset that's not relevant anymore. And, yeah, it happened really fast. But
3: Well, progress always wins eventually, even if it's slow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah progress always wins so
1: yeah
3: i think but even me in my work you know i'm writing teenagers in my 30s so i have to think about it i'm like is this joke funny is this a, you know i really am scanning my work to make sure that the integrity is there and and none of it's like i guess it's that right in book smart is like very few of the jokes are at the expense of each other i can think of one or two jokes in the entire movie that then are addressed later that are at the expense of another person. And so I think that's kind of like the shift in the type of humor. I really there was
2: to- a lot of punching <laughs> down. There was a lot of punching down in the eighties, you
1: know, yeah, um, totally in, in movies. Uh, yeah. A lot by, by default yeah. uh, as a knee jerk. Yeah. Almost all of it. I mean, there really wasn't punching up, but, uh, I think in Booksmart, a lot of the comedy is circumstantial. Like, there's that great scene in which there's the other pretty girl who happens to be gay in the bathroom, her first kiss, her first sexual oh, yeah. in the bathroom, and it goes hilariously, you know, and embarrassingly wrong. But nobody gets hurt, and her friend makes fun of her ruthlessly later. But it's just part of being a teenager. You know what I mean? Like, it's like but no, like- seriously hurt, and yeah, it's awkward being a teenager and this stuff is embarrassing and weird, but they all came through it okay. It became they all become things that we laugh about. You know? And even
3: that character who's supposed to be the mean girl sort of is like pretty gentle compared to what I think we're all used to.
1: Right. Well, with you know these hard shells and the spiky shell is because of our own. We put those up because of our own insecurity. Doesn't excuse necessarily the mean things you say from that standpoint. But once you realize that there's that soft underside, then you go, oh, okay, well, that's, that's them. That's not really me. That's them. And I love that scene. I love that the sort of timid character makes the first move, you know, from her gut. And it ends up being really exciting for both of those characters and for her best friend who is thrilled that she's crossed that kind of you know, rite of passage line line we all pass it's eventually. You know, I, I think it's uh, <laughs> I think it's really quite a mature movie too. And one of the things that I love about it is it runs deep.
3: Yeah, it, it
1: feels really funny.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, we know you would recommend Smart. Would you recommend uh, uh, the Breakfast Club?
3: But I, I mean, yeah, from like a. Sort of like I think it's important to the history of film. I wouldn't show it in a school, but I think that it's sort of like as an adult with a fully formed mind and view of society to go back and watch it. I mean, like you said, like this genre of teen movies was created, really starting with the breakfast club. The breakfast club was the first one before that teenagers had like after school specials they didn't have anything for them, so in that sense, yes, um. What about you? Yeah,
2: I mean, it's hard to. I mean, I would, I would definitely recommend Booksmart. I mean, it's great. Um, you know, it's hard to separate. Um, and I, I will admit, like, not loving uh, Breakfast Club as a kid. I mean, I definitely was more into um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off than I was uh, Breakfast Club, and probably some other teen movies. But watching it. I mean, I I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it watching it this time around that it was I think I remembered more of the kind of slapstick elements to it rather than the real emotional. And, you know, how does it's it's interesting, you know, as you age to go back and watch these movies that, you know, at what and now it's like we're the age of the parents dropping the kids off, you know. Um, and so it's, uh, and probably, they're probably younger than us yeah, you know, probably because we're both 50. Um, so it's always a little, you know, interesting to look at it with, you know, older eyes and, but I still, you know, take those, uh, the problematic, uh, elements out of it. And, um, you know, I think, I think it holds up in a lot of ways. I definitely would like to see what, like teenagers would think of it, yeah. You know, how, if it would resonate with them at all or.
3: And you could go on TikTok and find out. Yeah. That's true.
1: <laughs> that's true. I, so I think all three of us unanimously recommend Smart. And I, I agree. I li- I like the word you used, important. I think if you, you can't really strip those problematic elements out of a breakfast club. But I think it would be a shame. I think it is sort of a shame that they so damn the entire film because you can't really cut them out of the movie and have the movie still work they the, the you can't just cut the really sharp scenes out of it because the sort of mentality is baked all throughout but if you or if you're able to watch that movie as an independent film there is so much that feels revolutionary and still relevant Uh, To me today, and certainly in thinking about it as a seminal piece of the genre of the teenage coming of age in high school, we're in the high school movie. I was really uh, surprised at how relevant it still felt.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, But I do think that those those hard parts are kind of an anchor you can't un you can't extricate that from the film. So, I mean, it it makes it hard to say you should go watch the breakfast club because I think those are problems that are real capital P problems. But I thought that the whole movie experience rewatching, it would be mostly about that. And what I really was like, wow, that was, that is a great movie, you know, with a big asterisk on it. That's like, you know, trigger warning, (laughs) several trigger warnings, but, uh, it's well made and it, you know, at an hour and a half. I'm like, if you said, Hey, here's an independent movie and you could set that part aside, you're like, it's a great movie. Yeah. So, grain of salt, big grain of salt, salt lick uh, <laughs> recommendation on that one. But, and I don't know that kids today, I don't know the younger audiences today, you can't just be like, Yeah, but that was how it was. Like, that doesn't have any, my kids would be like, wouldn't they couldn't comprehend that they're like you were like that with each other i'm like well i didn't i didn't do that but i mean people did there's just no way for them and you wouldn't really want them to (laughs) understand that no um, in some ways so i don't know anyway chris and chris talk movies at gmail.com that's our handle we're on the socials blah 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 thank you for listening to us and uh like and subscribe and yeah 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 do all that stuff And Melissa Dimitri's, thank you for joining us.
3: Oh, thanks for having me. It was so much fun. I just want to hang out with you
2: guys. If there are any other movies that you want to discuss with us, we'd be. You know, I joke with Chris a lot that I'll say uh, that there are a lot of times in an episode where I'll I'll think like, "Oh, this is my get off get off my lawn," you know, part of the you know where it's just these two old guys, you know, talking about about movies from our youth. So. Yeah, if, you, if there's ever anything that you want to discuss with us, let us know. Yeah.
3: Okay. Anytime you want to talk teen movies,
1: you come to me. Yeah. Well, you you mentioned a couple that yeah, you, that, that, you know, I mean, let's that we've not seen let's yeah. offline. Let's talk about the other other ones that you think would be great to discuss, and we'll we'll loop it in because I do think we need.
3: Well, Joyride is not a teen movie, but it is really worth watching. I mean, that's a yeah. heavy record.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Do we, do we have a sense of what we're going to talk about next? Have we already decided? Um
2: i we had talked about Babylon. We had talked about Babylon. Did you see that?
0: Um,
2: no. But it's like three hours. Oh Jesus. Uh, that's God. the only that's the only thing Why? that scares me away from it. That's one thing with you know, with uh, 80s movies is they they did a lot of 80, 90 minute,
1: you know, films. What about and, the one that we're mentioning? What about the uh was the it creator the, no the uh, I do want to see that. Oh, the, the time uh, travel. The... Yeah,
2: it's called uh, uh, Totally Killer. It's on Prime. So do you it, think you know, it, it would be good
1: to Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. It's a lot of fun. Do you want
1: to do that one? Next? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that. we're going from the high school thing. It's just sort of it seems like a natural follow-up Yeah, it
2: definitely this episode It definitely. Like I say, there's definitely some things that would almost be comments on a movie like The Breakfast Club. And it's you know, it's much more comedy than horror. It's in no way scary. Yeah. You know, there's a little bit of blood, but it's not. Yeah, but, oh.
0: yeah.
2: Um. So yeah, we can do that next. Like I say, it's on Prime. And, all right. So, well, maybe I, we won't commit to it, but maybe that's what
1: we do next. Okay. Um, Thank you so, so much yeah. for having me. Oh God, the pleasure is all ours. Um, anything either of you would like to tack on before we wrap it up? I don't think so. Melissa, that- last yeah. words. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. We will talk to you all next week, baby. Yay.